my name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting or maybe here for one of the first few times. We'd love to get to know you. We're serious when we say head back to that connections table um, because we'd love to get people connected around here. Let's pray together before we look at God's word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this space as we have sung, as we have worshiped you this morning. God, we pray that you would continue to receive our praises. And we thank you, God, for the privilege that we have to be here at Sheridan School, to worship here in this public school. We don't take it for granted. And God, as we always do every week, we pray for your blessing to be upon this place. As the faculty and staff are preparing to come back, as students and families are preparing for another school year, God, we pray that your presence would be with them and that it would make a difference in Jesus' name. And we pray, God, that you would make a difference in our lives, that your presence here this morning would change us, that you would be shaping our hearts as we've been talking about for these last few weeks. We love you, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so Thursday, the great Minnesota get-together. Who's pumped? I thought there were more State Fair fans in here. So what's your favorite food? Let me hear them. Corn, corn dog. That's so classic, man. Okay, cool. Corn dog, no judgment. What else? Pickles, fried pickles. Any food, anything on a stick? Somebody said anything on a stick. Sweet Martha's Cookies. Who's, who's a fan of Sweet Martha's? All right, I want to give you guys the new food of the year list. It has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about. I just thought I'd do you a favor and give you the new food at the fair list, the, the, the big ones, okay? The first one that everybody's talking about, I have no idea if everybody's talking about this, but it was on the internet. The first one that everybody's talking about is the Spam Sushi. Mixed crowd on that one, okay. Sushi rolls made with Spam. The rustic beef pastry. These are three words that I don't feel are normally together. Rustic beef pastry. So that is something to check out. We've got the macaroni and cheese curds. Two amazing cheese things together. Doesn't get much better than that. And then we've got cheesy French onion monkey bread. I thought monkey bread was sweet. No? Okay, so savory monkey cheese French onion. Okay, and then this, this one sounded the best to me. Candied bacon donut sliders. You're welcome for that list. You are welcome. So if you want to play Where's Waldo, you can look for the staff and the leadership team on the first. We're going to be there after like four. So come find us and you'll get a high five or something. So come find us. So we've been in this conversation these last few weeks called You Are What You Love. You are what you love, not to be confused with you are what you eat. Monkey bread, onion things. That's not what we're talking about. You are what you love. This idea that the things that that you care the most about, your deepest cares, your deepest desires, your deepest loves, are going to have the greatest impact on how you live your life and who you become. It's the things that we care about that lead us to take action, that lead us to become who we are. And we've been having this conversation for these last few weeks. And as we're having this conversation, it's causing me to have kind of a different lens on everything that I'm, I'm seeing in my life. In fact, I was even just thinking of the State Fair. And one of my favorite reasons to go there is people watching. Uh, fascinating, fascinating people watching. But when you think about this idea of what you really love and how it, it causes you to invest yourself, I think the State Fair is a great example of what a lot of Minnesotans love. Because you see people who have spent months or years or their entire life for things like uh, growing the largest pig, right? And the largest um, pumpkin and all these kinds of things that happen. People invest their whole life in this stuff. Like this is what they are about. 
People spend the entire year pulling together different pieces of their artwork to display in the craft building, things like that. This is a good example of the kind of the outpouring of what happens when people's desires start to take action. You start to have these examples, and I see this all around. So I'm seeing this as I'm kind of existing here in our city. I'm noticing all of this. And as we've been talking about this, this concept, you are what you love, we've been asking a few different questions. So these are the questions that we want to continue to ask ourselves. What do we really love? What do we really love? That was the first question that we asked. We also asked the question, what's going on in our hearts? When we stop and pay attention, what's actually happening in our hearts? What is, what is in there already? Sometimes we don't notice because we're just going through life. Another question we've asked is, what are our gut reactions, like our instincts, towards what God is doing around us? Do we have a gut reaction towards what God is doing around us? And then we've been take, kind of taking a turn these last few weeks to say, what are the practices that shape our hearts towards God? What are the practices, the things that we can do, the rituals, the routines, the habits, the practices that lead us to have hearts that are shaped like God and shaped up towards the things that God loves? And so we've come to conclude at this point that if we are going to, to move our hearts towards loving what God is about, then love takes practice. If you remember anything today, it's this, love takes practice. Today I want to talk about our hearts in a specific way. I want to talk about something that's actually rel relatively simple but very hard to do, and that is getting in shape. Does anybody agree with that? It's relatively simple, but it's very hard to do. I've spent like a year trying to do it, and it's very hard, and it's taking forever, and it, it's not something that happens overnight. Am I right? I want to talk about our hearts as a muscle, okay, as a muscle that has to get in shape. It's either getting weaker or stronger. What's happening there? Now, we know we've talked about this, the metaphor of a heart. It's, it's a metaphor, right, for your gut or your emotional center, your soul, the center of who you are. Your heart is actually, I hope everybody knows this already, but uh, an organ, a muscular organ that's pumping blood throughout your body. It's not actually where your emotions are, just in case that was confusing. But it's a great metaphor, you guys, because it is at the center of, of ourselves, and without it, we wouldn't function, and we can't help but love. That's who we are, just like our hearts can't help but to pump the blood through our bodies. And as a muscular organ, I think it's actually a really good metaphor because you can have a weak heart with weak muscles or you can have a strong heart with strong muscles and the effects of the two things are very different, aren't they? So I want to talk about the heart as a muscle, one that has to continually work to be in shape, to continually have uh, love that flows out of it. There's only one way to get muscles to be stronger, isn't there? Because there's not, uh, they don't get stronger on their own. Some of you are like, that's why this getting in shape thing isn't working. The muscles don't get stronger on their own. Big, big tip. So the muscles don't get stronger on their own. There's only one way that muscles get stronger, and that is to use them repeatedly and to allow them to be stretched. And the more that they stretch, the more they will grow and the stronger they will be. Yeah? Once I get, like I said, very simple, just hard to do. So a couple weeks ago, uh, my fiancé and I, JD, some of you have met him, hopefully if you haven't yet, we were, we were going to get up early and do a leg workout, okay, with my friend Heidi. Heidi's a personal trainer. So we're up, it's way too early for me, and we're going to the gym to do this leg workout. It'd been at least a month since I'd done like a serious leg workout, but I'm thinking it's going to be fine. Halfway through the workout, it's not fine. Like it's really not fine. We're like in pain, but she's just, it's not even hard for her, right? It was like not even hard for her. So we're just trying to keep up with her. We're just doing it. 
Anyway, the workout's over. We left everything out, out there. Like, we were, we were spent. And a few hours later, JD says to me, he's like, man, I'm already sore. My legs are already killing me. It's the same day, and I'm already sore. And I was like, I'm fine. I don't know about, I'm fine. And then I said, I don't even think I'm going to be sore tomorrow. I, I, what? <laughs> anyway, I woke up the next morning, and I could barely get my legs out of bed. And so I grabbed my phone, and I text him, I was wrong. So I've been getting advice now that I'm getting married from people, so I'm supposed to admit that. So I said, I was wrong. My legs are in so much pain. And then I texted him, and I really don't want our future marriage to be built on lies. So I just want to be honest. And like three days later, we're both in pain, and then uh, Roland put this picture of us. We sent this picture to Heidi just to let her know how excruciating. This is how it felt. We were in so much pain for days, days. Okay, because of this reality that we're talking about, right? If you want to do, uh, strengthen your leg muscles, one leg workout a month is not going to do it, turns out, right? I also have this other goal this year, and that is to do one pull-up by the end of 2016. So by the time we hit 2017, I want to do one pull-up. Do people think I can do it? This is really encouraging. It's not how I'm feeling about it right now, actually. Um, so y the thing is, is, I've been like three times a week doing these muscles for my core and my arms to do these pull-ups, and I, I'm like halfway there. So now instead of just hanging there, I can like pull myself half the way up. And I think that I've got a few more months to do this. But uh, it turns out, according to Heidi, the trainer, I have to do something every day so that my muscles can actually do this and I can actually do the pull-up. So once again, I will not have enough core muscles to do a pull-up unless I train my muscles to be stronger on a regular basis. The muscles in our legs won't get stronger unless we have repeated use and repeated stretching. And I know this is a really simple metaphor, but I think it's crucial because this is true for our hearts. It takes practice. Love takes practice for it to get stronger. And I've had these conversations with all of you, a lot of you, and it's been really fascinating to hear you actually explain this metaphor. You've talked about how you've taken these small actions of love over and over and how your capacity is growing. And I love having these conversations with you where you're saying, I didn't even care about this before, but now I'm seriously investing myself in this area. People, their hearts are, are growing and are getting more and more capacity to love because of the strengthening. I'm seeing that in a lot of you, and it's incredible. You say things like, it was really uncomfortable at first, kind of like a leg workout that you weren't in shape for. It was uncomfortable to get to know this person and to talk to strangers, but I'm getting better at it, and it's not as hard anymore. And over and over and over time, love for your neighbor becomes something that your heart is in shape for, right? And then I've had these other conversations, and I will admit that I can personally resonate with these conversations, where we search our hearts for what we care about, and if we're honest, one of the things that we find is actually a lot of apathy. Like this idea that you want to care, you know you should care, this like should, I should care for the poor and the marginalized, but if I'm honest, I don't. Like that's just not, I don't feel that way. We know that we maybe want to be people who are about racial justice, but we're having these conversations and they're tiring and exhausting and we're just not feeling it. There's a lot of us who would say that we want to meet our neighbors, we want to engage with our coworkers in different ways, but we're kind of nervous about it, and it's awkward, and it's just hard, and we're not doing it. There's just this apathy going on inside of us. And I guess what I want to, to, to say today is that that can cause guilt, that can cause sometimes a sense of shame in our lives. And so here's what I want to say. I don't think 
that that sense of apathy makes you like a bad person or a bad Christian or some sort of thing. I just want to kind of move that conversation out. I don't know why we have to label things that way. What I think is most likely happening is that the muscles of the heart have not been strengthened in that area. You know, when you're not feeling strong, you don't want to run a few miles. When you're feeling strong, it feels different to do that, doesn't it? I'd say that it's less about this idea of, of shame and guilt and those types of things and more about this idea that if our muscles, if our heart is strengthened, we're going to step into these things in different ways. That's what I want to suggest today. It's more about choosing to grow those heart muscles than shaming your way into caring. I'm going to say that again. It's more about choosing to strengthen those heart muscles than shaming your way into caring. You can't walk into the gym and squat 150 pounds if you haven't led up to that, right? And we can't do the heavy lifting, the heavy heart lifting of a life on mission if we don't train and strengthen our hearts towards what God is talking about and what God wants for us. So we're going to look today at the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you can grab that. Hebrews, I think, sheds a little bit of light on this concept because the whole book is about, I would say the greater theme of this book is endurance. It's perseverance. It's a sense of resilience. So we're going to look at Hebrews 10, 15 through 25. Let me just kind of explain a little bit more about what's happening here in this book if you aren't that familiar with it. It is a letter to a group of people, the Hebrew people, hence the name Hebrews. And so there is a letter being written to this group of people, and it is by the author at the beginning described as a word of exhortation or encouragement. And I hear this and I think, you know what? This is something that we could use right now, just collectively as a group, as a, a people who are in our city right now. I think we could use a word of encouragement, this idea of don't give up, be resilient, press towards what God has called you to, have perseverance. I love the way that the writer talks about this, and I think that it's something that a lot of us could receive in a new way. So maybe reading this book would be a good thing for, for some of us during this time. As this letter is being written to the Hebrews, it's a time of persecution, okay? So following Jesus is becoming riskier and riskier and riskier. And during this time, a lot of people are deciding not to. They're just bailing on it altogether because it's too difficult, and it's very tempting to bail, and a lot of people are. So when it comes to the writer of Hebrews, some of you might know this, it's very interesting. There's a huge debate about who wrote the book of Hebrews. For a long time, people said, oh, it's probably Paul. But it actually, it's so obvious how different the writing of Hebrews is to any of Paul's letters. It sounds completely different. Some people think it might be a woman who was a leader named Priscilla, and that they took her name off of it so that in the, the first century culture, it would still be regarded as an important work, even though it was written by a woman, and the women's voices weren't regarded at that time. And then other people think that it was written by a community of people, that there's evidence that throughout this very poetic book that there was a number of different voices that gave to the conversation. And I, I don't know for sure, nobody knows, but I'm going to choose that one. I really like that idea, that a community of people were writing their heart of perseverance towards their community. A group of people were together trying to figure out how can we encourage everybody as they're experiencing such a difficult time where everything feels uphill. And this book is one of the most poetic and encouraging books in the New Testament, in my opinion. It's amazing. It sounds completely different than the rest of the Bible. So I want you to just listen to what the author or authors of Hebrews are writing in Hebrews 10, verse 15. We'll have it up on the screen as well. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts 
and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, I could talk about this little passage for a really long time. Um, I'm heard, I've heard that that's not preferable, so I'm just going to point out a few things. Uh, just, just look at these different verses with me, starting in verse 15 and 16. Uh, very clearly here, the, there's a quote actually right here of Jeremiah 31, 33. If you look it up, it's really, really close what's said in he, here in Hebrews to what is written in Jeremiah 31. This covenant I will make with them and this very specific way that it says the Holy Spirit is saying, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe will put, and using the word law here, will put my ways, my cares, in their hearts and write them on their minds. God is going to do that. And I think that that's why for so many of us, when we know we're having that apathy, we feel uncomfortable. Because God wrote it in our hearts. God has impressed it in our hearts and our minds that we are the people who care about those who are in need. We are the people who express justice and step into justice when wrong things need to be made right. We are supposed to be the people who have a gut reaction towards the marginalized. This is, this is who we are. We want to see people provided for. And I think that's what a lot of us want, but we know that that's not always what we feel. And I think the dissonance with that comes from this fact. That if you are a person who follows Jesus, then Jesus has impressed his ways into your heart and your mind. Even if it's really down in there somewhere that you're not accessing very much, I think it's in there. This is what is being said here. The Holy Spirit is impressing this. It's written in our hearts. When we have these cares and these concerns and we know that they're not really at the top of the list of the things we want to be about, we feel uncomfortable. We want to see love for the lonely. We want to see hope for the hopeless. We want to see provision for those in need. There's something in us that it bubbles up every once in a while if it's not there all of the time because it's written on our hearts. And then verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. I just want to stop for a second because this is not actually that much about the exact topic that we're talking about today. But I have this sense that there's some people here today, maybe one or two people, who really need to grasp this this morning. God has forgotten the things of your past. God chooses to forget the things that have held you back in the past. God chooses to erase those things from God's mind. It says that in multiple places in Scripture. And I know that for some of us, it's so difficult because we can't forget some of the things that kind of haunt us about our life and our past and the, the sins that come up over and over and over. But God forgets those things. They aren't intended to hold you back. 
So just wanted to take a moment to say, if that's you, if you need to receive that, perhaps that is what God has for you today, to let go of some of these things and keep them from defining you because Jesus doesn't define you by those things Jesus has chosen to forget. Verse 19 through 22, there's this very deep language here about entering the most holy place. And it's very poetic how the writers of Hebrews are saying this, but there's this idea that there is this holy place within the temple. And the temple is where the the, the people of God, the Jews, would go to worship God. And in the center of the temple, there was what's called the most holy place. And only one person could go in there, and that was the high priest. And the high priest could go in there, I think it was like once a year or once in there. It's, it's crazy how inaccessible this space was. And everybody believed that the distinct and deepest presence of God existed in the most holy place. So understand that when the writer of Hebrews is saying that now we can enter the most holy place, this is huge. Before Jesus, nobody entered that place but the high priest. But it says here, Jesus is the high priest now. And Jesus is the curtain, and you'll remember in the story of the resurrection, or of of Jesus' death, that the curtain in the temple was torn in two, giving access to that most holy place. This idea that that God's presence had left the building, and, and that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we all have an opportunity to have a relationship with God that is full. That wasn't possible before Jesus. It's incredible. And then verse 22 through 25, there's this, these kind of clear instructions. There's all this poetic language, and then there's very clear instructions here. If, if I kind of break it down into three things, I think it's draw near to God with, it says, a sincere heart. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. Encourage one another. And spur, this idea, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then there's this last line that says, and don't give up meeting together. And I think that that phrase is said there for a number of things, but this is where we are encouraged, right? This is where we spur each other on. This is a group of people that we do these good deeds in. And it's really fascinating to me because maybe some of you have heard this before, but people have used this passage for many, many years to talk about church attendance. Has anybody heard this passage to talk about attendance at worship services? And I I actually don't think that's what this is about. I'm a huge fan of attendance at worship services. Thank you for being here this morning. But... I don't think that's what this is about. I don't think that it's about that, at least directly. Because if you sum up all of this poetic, amazing language to then be about going to an event every week, I think you're completely missing the point. We can't miss the point that severely. It's talking about not going to church. It's talking about being the church, isn't it? And, and you guys know this. Uh, church is not a meeting or a building or a time frame. And it's kind of confusing sometimes because our vernacular is we say we're going to church and that means we're coming to the worship service on Sundays, often, sometimes Saturday night, whatever. But I don't think this has to do that much with meetings that are scheduled in these specific ways and specifically not only Sunday morning meetings. The the word here in uh, Greek when it's talking about meeting together is episunagoge, okay? And it's not talking about a worship service. It's talking about this very deep, very compelling thing. Let me read what this one uh, writer says about it, Peter Dietz. You can put it up on the, on the screen. In every place where we find the verb espinugago, it is used to refer to a gathering of some sort to Christ. And in the only other place where the noun form espinugage is used, it is used for that great gathering to Christ on the day of his return and our resurrection. Thus, when we see this word used, 
in Hebrews 10.25, we must begin to suspect that perhaps it does not refer to going to church on Sunday or any other day of the week, but to something greater. Any time that God's people are coming together and pursuing Jesus, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Drawing closer to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, loving like Jesus, being loved by Jesus, receiving that love. The writer of Hebrews here is just saying, if you're going to do these things, you can't do them by yourself. It's not possible to fully do them by yourself. So don't give up these gatherings towards Jesus as often as you possibly can, whether it's with one or two people or 20 people or 40 people or 100 people, because that is what it takes for us to have hearts that are strengthened. That's what it means to choose to continue to train. And even though it's hard and we have other choices we might want to make with that day, we'd rather be doing something else than gathering with our friends to pray at their house because they just went through something. I don't know. We have other choices to make. But we choose to do the heart-shaping things. We choose to take that extra 10 minutes to talk to that neighbor, not because it's easy, but because it stretches our heart muscles and we grow. So very clearly we see in verse 23 through 25 these three things. This is what it's, it's talking here about, the author is saying, this is what the church does, not church meetings, but this is what the church does, not how often it meets. Draws close to God, encourages each other, and loves others through good deeds. It's kind of, it's, it's put out here very simply. In our community, there's a way that we've talked about this for a long time, and some of you have seen this before. Roland, put that, the, the triangle up on the screen. We talk about this all the time. We talk about how as people who want to model our lives after Jesus, we have an upward relationship with the Father. We have an inward relationship with our community, our support. And then an outward relationship with the people that God loves in a world that God loves. These are these three relationships that are so crucial for our lives. And we see these types, these three relationships throughout the whole Bible. And so we've come to really model everything that we do here at Mill City around these three relationships that are so key and are so important. And so the phrase, don't give up meeting together, is the author saying, don't stop the rhythms of doing these three things with other people. You got to do these three things with other people. Put the next slide up there. You see them. Draw close to God. Encourage each other. Love others through good deeds. This is just one passage where you see those three things so clearly displayed. And I think here, when you think about uh, this idea and how these three relationships are strengthened and how our heart is strengthened towards those three relationships, I would say these three things can happen from a worship service, sure. But I would say that, that it's also possible that somebody comes and inhabits a space like this and doesn't grow in any of these areas. It's kind of like the, there's these retired guys at the gym, not all of them, but some of them, and I don't think they're working out. Like, I think they're just there. And they have like a newspaper and then they're chatting with each other. I'm not saying that they're not working out. I just haven't seen them working out. So I think they're just hanging out. But you can go to the gym, but it's not going to do anything if you're not actually engaging in the heart-shaping activities, right? In the muscle-shaping activities. That's what we're talking about here. So I would say there's a lot of spaces where our hearts can be strengthened in these three relationships. I think a worship service is one of them. At Mill City, we have a number of those spaces, or sometimes we call them vehicles, for that heart transformation space. We have discipleship, and discipleship is a really intentional groups that are kind of like a workout group that is just going to go for it together in strengthening their heart towards God. And anybody can be a part of those. You just have to let us know. And we have missional communities. We're talking about that all the time here, right? Can't stop talking about the missional communities. But this is extended family groups of people who do all three of these things. Because for most of us, the times that those groups get together a couple times a month is 
is the time that we have to give to these three things. And it, it starts us off. It starts to put our hearts in that space. We have trainings that, that JD, our pastor of training, is putting together all the time where you say, okay, that actually what he's doing that training on, that sounds like something that I need to be strengthened in. So you might participate in one of those trainings. Okay, so these are, are things that are spaces that could be heart-shaping. But it's not an expectation that everybody does all these things all the time. What is the expectation of people who follow Jesus? That, those three relationships, right? Those three phrases, put them up there for a second, Rollin. It's very clear here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, because we have access to God, we have this opportunity to draw close to God, to encourage each other, and to love through good deeds, and we do all those things together. Those things are non-negotiables. And I'd hope as a pastor that you would see that the spaces that we provide for that are just opportunities for you to step into that if it makes sense for you. But if you're doing these three things in these other spaces, it's amazing. In fact, we consider that part of being the church in the spaces in which you're doing that. But if you're finding it difficult to do any one of these things, that's what these other spaces are for because we really believe that we can't do them by ourselves. If you already have your team of people that you do mission with, great. If you don't, we've got 10 of them for you to choose from. And we would love for you to try it out. But I just want to encourage you today to say this, this exhortation, don't give up. That's, that's not an option. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says your heart is not in shape, the doctor is going to say something kind of clear to you. The doctor is going to say, all right, listen, it's a non-negotiable at this point to exercise and to eat better. Aren't they going to say that? Because they want health for you. And so these three things throughout the whole Bible are so clear, non-negotiables. This is what we're supposed to be about. And when we step into those spaces, our hearts become shape, in shape more and more, and we have the capacity to love in different ways. And I see this happening in a lot of ways. Let me just give you a couple examples. Uh, I see so many of you, like I said earlier, this capacity for love is growing. And it, there, it makes no other sense except that you're consistently putting yourself in these spaces that are strengthening your heart towards the things that God cares about. Let me tell you a couple stories. The first is about Rachel and Brian. They've been a part of our community for a long time. This time last year, they stood up here on this stage and they talked about a two-week, I think it was two-week trip that they took to Uganda last summer. And it was incredible. They're both librarians. They're not here today because I think that she's getting picked up from the airport. So later, just be like, double librarian couple. Awesome. They're both librarians. And so they were doing this incredible work in Uganda. And then they came back and about this time last year, they just had this sense, man, Going to Uganda for two weeks is like trying to run a half marathon without training. What are we doing every day and every week in our lives here in Minneapolis to grow and strengthen these muscles? Long story short, they got some people together from Mill City and started a missional community that engages with welcoming refugees to our city. And so they currently have a refugee family that's being sponsored and connected with. Uh, the group of people from Mill City are learning just as much from that family as they're learning from us. And I think there's a picture, Rollin, of everybody at the airport when uh, that group of people welcomed them here for the first time, coming straight from a refugee camp. You guys, it's been incredible. And I watch these folks and I see their hearts just like bursting. It's expanding. They have this capacity to care for people who are super different than them, who've had a crazy different background that they didn't have before because they've made this choice to have this weekly connection with these folks. That's a good example of this. Uh, the next example I want to give is this neighborhood crawl. Some of you have got this on your fridge, right? I know, I know who you are. I see them on your fridge. We've got a bunch of them at the connections table. These are like really, really simple ways to get to know people in your neighborhood. And I know a few families and housemates who 
took that, put it on the fridge, started to get to know names, started to make friends with people in their neighborhood, and then had like a little map of all the houses on their neighborhood, wrote all the names of the neighbors that they've met, and somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago and said, we now think we know the name of every single person on our block, and some actual friendships are starting to start within just a year. But this is not one day they decided to go around and meet every single person on the block, is it? It's regular rhythm of being willing to say, okay, we're going to take this dumb little cartoon and we're just going to try it, okay? We're just going to give it a go. And we're seeing this thing happen. It's crazy. And most of them would say it's really hard for them to meet strangers. I would say even the most extroverted person, in fact, I spoke to one of the most extroverted people that I know, Michelle, and she said, it's hard to meet new people. It's hard for everybody, but it gets easier when you do it. You practice and your heart expands. Final story that I want to tell, and um, this this is hot off the press. This is brand new news. Um, our church has been a part of an organization called the Sheridan Story. Most of you are aware of that, but let me just give you in brief. It started here in Sheridan School with a need for students who didn't have enough food on the weekends, so they were stealing food out of the trash, hoarding food from the lunch ladies, and it was a problem. And so in 2010, we were approached to, to see if there was something we could do. We started sending food home with some kids in little bags on the weekends in their backpacks, just hiding it in, the, in their backpacks on the weekends. And it has been now six years, and what's happening is, and I know a lot of you are these people, people are giving $12 a month to sponsor a kid. A lot of you are those people. And every month, $12 comes out of your account, doesn't it? And you get a little email that says $12 came out of your account. And that sponsors a kid for a month. And over the last six years, that, that amount of money has grown. Okay, and the students here at Sheridan has, there's been a lot of changes and there's a few less students here at Sheridan. And so some of the community development team was saying, wait a second, so we've got more money in that account than we have students to feed. Yes. Let's ask and see what's going on. And we found out that there's two schools left in Northeast Minneapolis that have not yet been sponsored. And the amount of extra funds matches the amount of students who need that almost exactly, you guys. I know, it's crazy. Look at this map of all the schools. There is a, there's going to be 110 schools sponsored by the Sheridan Story this fall. And look at that, all those little green, you can clap. Good, good. And put the, put the next slide up here. This is Northeast Minneapolis. All of the schools in Northeast Minneapolis are now going to be sponsored by Mission Northeast Collective of Churches by this fall. And Pillsbury School, the one that we're going to sponsor, guys, the people who started the whole thing just by listening to God, are going to sponsor the 110th school since 2010. Isn't that amazing? Yes, that, yes, we can clap. (laughs) Sorry, don't leave room for the clapping. And you guys, this is huge because of the small incremental things that happened so this would be possible, right? It started with 27 kids in 2010. 27 kids, and now it's 110 schools, you guys. But none of these things happen overnight, right? The $12 that comes out of your bank account every month, it's hardly noticeable for some people. It's a big sacrifice for others, isn't it? But it adds up, and then these kinds of things happen. So I'm going to have the band come back up. There's just kind of these four things that uh, Roland's going to put up in here on the screen. If I could encourage you to do anything as you're looking towards this fall, it would be these four things. You see these things in these stories that I told. Designate time in your calendar to heart-shaping spaces, whatever those spaces are for you, whether they're Mill City spaces or other. Designate funds in your checkbook towards heart-shaping spaces. Sometimes it's $12 a month, sometimes it's $3 a month, but it's worth it. 
Take the next step when you feel God leading. You heard that in Rachel and Brian's story, didn't you? This taking the next step, just one step at a time. And then, as the writer of Hebrews would hope that you embrace, have perseverance. One day at a time, just the next step, the next step, the next step. And your heart will get stronger and stronger. And before you know it, your heart's going to feel so in shape when it comes towards loving the people that God's called us to love and loving each other in this community and loving God. I want to close today by reading the same passage in Hebrews, but in the message translation. Um, I think this translation can sometimes just open it up a little bit for us. So um, I'm going to close just by reading Hebrews 10.15 in the message. The Holy Spirit confirms this. This new plan I am making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled in a stone. This time, I'm writing it out the plan in them. I'm carving it on the lining of their hearts. He concludes, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. Once sins are taken care of for good, there's no longer any need to offer sacrifices for them. So, friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out, let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding gathering together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the day approaching. Amen. Can I send us out with a blessing this morning? May God offer you endurance as you step towards him and your love relationship with him, as you step towards each other and your encouraging of one another, and as you step towards a world of people that God loves. May God fill you with endurance and God fill you with strength, and may your heart increase in its capacity. In Jesus' name, amen.